<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of The Complete Works Season 2, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the world according to Jeff Goldblum is my friend, co-host, and fellow Goldblumaniac, Mike DiCriccio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Um, I'm excited and nervous about that episode number you said because like we're almost done, man. It's what, like three episodes left of Goldblum, something like that? It's yeah. we're getting down to the wire here. And two of them are boss babies? That's fucked up. <laughs> only right. one of only one of them is boss babies. He's not in the first one. <laughs> yeah, I know. But we gotta watch the first one. Well, I mean, you, you you don't have to watch the first one, Mike. I I will probably watch the first one. <laughs> Just for full context of the boss baby universe. I probably mm. will skip the Netflix TV show oh if God. I'm being completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> what if Goldblum's got a cameo in it, then? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I think still skip-worthy. Uh, mm, okay, I think, okay. But uh, Boss Baby Family Business, that is going to be next week's episode on the show, by the way. So uh, get, get look forward to that. Hey, you never know. I mean, Nicolas Cage has the Croods and the Croods movies. Those are, pretty, those are rock. Those are That's good. That's right. We are those are also cast. DreamWorks. That's true. Maybe we'll be ba- Baby's cast. But Boss <laughs> cast? Uh, I think Boss cast makes more sense that just, baby boss the family podcast that's what we're going with <laughs> i think you nailed it i think mean, it's pretty I good <laughs> got it in one yes uh baby boss the family podcast will be happening next week this week we got to talk about i mean i i, I want to talk about the show we're going to talk about in a little bit first i feel like we got to talk about the streaming landscape as a whole we're going way oh, back god <laughs> tell me do about we, the birth of netflix do we have three hours to uh, dig into this place <laughs> yes so over the last 10 plus years, we, you know, we've seen streaming become the dominant way that people consume stuff. Uh, and around the turn of the 2010s, Netflix became pretty much synonymous with the streaming movement. Pretty big deal. It was, you know, you're able to turn on your TV or in those days, insert a disc into your PS3 or your Wii uh, and be able to access a wide variety of movies and TV shows. <laughs> Wow. I remembered that recently. I was like cleaning out some stuff in my mom's house in New York and like found my old Netflix disc to put into the Wii. And I was like, oh, God, this is this is like this belongs in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know what you're talking about. You don't remember that? No. Oh, back in the day, back when like Netflix streaming first started out, it required a disc. Netflix would send you a disc because at that point, Netflix was DVD by mail primarily. right? Right. That was that was their whole thing, which I still get. The Netflix DVDs, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't utilized the service in a while. I've, I've had like three DVDs sitting on my shelf for like a few months now, but like I still have it. It's still available. But back then, that was their primary function. They were a DVD by mail service. Uh, and when they launched their streaming platform, uh, which I believe at the time was called Netflix Watch Instantly because it was like a separate thing. Right. Like it was such a new thing. They had to specify like, oh, this is the Watch Instantly section of Netflix. They would send you a disc in the mail that you would keep uh, and you would insert it into your Blu-ray player or your PS3 or your Wii or whatever. And you were able to access Netflix Watch Instantly through that. That's wild. So that that's how Netflix was back at the time, kids, back when I was in high school. And the result at first was one that really actually benefited cable and broadcast networks in a big way when Netflix first launched streaming because shows like Breaking Bad uh, would become hugely popular in their final seasons after people had caught up with the show by binging it on Netflix. That was kind of the thing. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. That was uh, before every single network ever made a streaming service. And we're just going <laughs> to yes. end up bundling the streaming services and we'll be back at cable. Exactly. And also before Netflix was making their own original content, which right. I think is key there because all Netflix had at the time was just a lot of movies and TV shows. Yes. Uh, and really at the time, they actually did have quite a lot of movies in their service. Now, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Like if you want back catalog stuff, there's it's a much more limited selection. Um, but back then they really had a lot on there. Like you can get a lot of classics from the 30s and 40s on there, like old school movies. Uh, so Netflix was huge. Hulu was also bigger on the same time where all the major broadcasters kind of came together to form it as like an ad supported service that allowed people to watch a show the day after it aired. That was kind of a revolutionary concept at the time. But the tide turned pretty quickly once Netflix began developing their own TV series and movies. Uh, it started off with them kind of attempting to be the next HBO and cultivate prestige, critical favorites, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black. And then they started trying to bring in existing fan bases. So they revived Arrested Development, uh, for example, right? And then in 2015, they released their first original film, Kari Fukunaga's Beasts of No Nation, which was kind of their major Oscar play. They were like, okay, maybe we can get into movies and stuff. They put it out into theaters as like, you know, they got the qualifying run and stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. Didn't really work for that movie, but eventually, you know, the tide kind of turned on that one too. Uh, Within the next two years, Netflix was pretty much releasing new films and new TV series every single week. Uh, And that's still their business model. Uh, It is a never-ending stream of content and everyone else essentially has to keep up. It sucks. (laughs) Yeah, that's really it. It sucks. It it does. There's way too much stuff, and so much of it is not very good. They completely upended how media gets consumed, and suddenly every major studio was looking to get into the streaming game. Warner Brothers had HBO Go and HBO Now, which has now been relaunched along with several other hubs as HBO Max. Uh, Still, I will never forgive them for killing Filmstruck. That's it. (laughs) Move on. <laughs> also that, they also had Filmstruck, and uh, yeah, then that died, and the Criterion Channel ended up taking its place, so yeah, yes. there's that too. Uh, Paramount had CBS All Access, which has since been relaunched as Paramount+. Plus. Uh, Universal used NBC to launch Peacock, and now, of course, Disney has Disney+. Plus. There had been talk about Disney launching its own streaming service for a few years, but it wasn't until they purchased Fox that things really started to move on it. Disney+, Plus officially launched on November 12th, 2019, uh, featuring a backlog of Disney animation, Pixar, Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, Disney Channel stuff, National Geographic, and other titles. But of course, like every other streaming service, they needed to have their own original content. And uh, Disney Plus had several titles available at launch, including one blockbuster hit right out of the gate, which was, of course, The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Time is weird. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I mean, Mandalorian quickly became part of the culture thanks to Baby Yoda and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that was November 12th, 2019. First day Disney Plus was available. The Mandalorian, the first episode was out there. Uh, and on that day, they also offered several other new shows, including High School Musical, the musical, the series, uh, which ended up being the launch pad for Olivia Rodrigo, one of the biggest pop stars uh, out there right now. Marvel's Hero Project, which is a documentary thing about Marvel stuff. Uh, the Imagineering Story, which was a documentary about Disney parks and stuff like that. I watched some of that. It was pretty good. Forky Asks a Question, the uh, shorts about Forky from Toy Story. Fun stuff. Uh, there was a reality show called Encore with Kristen Bell. And there was the show we're talking about today, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. This show is a little off the beaten track, and it may be unexpected and surprising. So taste it and enjoy My name is Jeff Goldblum. The name of the show is uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. 
Be forewarned, I'm in the show a lot. Wow. I'm sort of fascinated by a lot of things. Sneakers. These shoes are worth twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. Oh boy. Denim. Ice cream. Hey, can I guess what kind of ice cream you want? <laughs> Jewelry. Isn't that something? Tattoos. Whoa. Ah. Is it gonna keep vibrating like that? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> And then, every once in a while, I break into song. Okay, anyway, what were we talking about? This is what the show is going to be like. So if any of this tempts you or wearies you, you can make a decision right here. I follow my own actual curiosity. Do you believe in ghosts? Can you sing Anchors Away? Can you make a sound like a seagull? Notting Hill. You ever see that movie? Could you eat my skin? What other Irish songs do I know? If I were meat that we'd put in a Korean barbecue, what would I be? A pork belly. <laughs> no, 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 not because you have a belly. No, no. I'm not here to be uh, didactic or professorial in any way. This is like a fun house. I know nothing. That's the premise. I'm a humble student. In fact, a kind of a late bloomer. A late gold bloomer. So when you open Disney Plus, you are greeted with five separate hubs, which divide some of the stuff available on the service. You get a Marvel hub, a Star Wars hub, a Disney hub, a Pixar hub, and a National Geographic hub. That last hub is where you'll find The World According to Jeff Goldblum, a docuseries that follows Jeff Goldblum around every single episode while he researches and speaks to people about different topics. Uh, now, Mike, we've talked about this in the past. We're not the biggest fans of Disney as like a corporation, right? <laughs> No, no. In fact, we uh, actively encourage theft from them. Yeah. <laughs> it is morally correct to steal from Disney, as always. So uh, I, I do subscribe to Disney+. Plus. I know uh, you did have Disney+, Plus, I think, for a little bit, um, but you don't have it anymore, right? Correct. Yeah, I got it uh, over the summer because my mom wanted to watch... Hamilton? I think it was Hamilton. I think it was Hamilton when they disabled the free trial um, or shortened it or whatever it was. I don't remember the specifics of it. Uh, well, we had a good goof about it whenever it happened. Yes. Uh, but I don't we don't have it anymore. You there's a few shows on Disney Plus that you do still keep up with just, you know, through other means. Yeah. Um, mostly the Marvel stuff, I guess, at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched uh, Moon Knight, but I have all of them downloaded uh, or as whatever have however many have come out. But I haven't clicked play on them yet, so I don't know okay. how to watch the Check that out. Fair enough. But and as far as the world according to Jeff Golden goes, you were like aware of the show's existence, but you hadn't watched any episodes, right? Correct. Yeah. And I guess 2019 was before we started this season of Goldblum Pod. Uh, or, or started yeah, the Yeah, yeah, we, we started this podcast in 2020, um, like February 2020, I think, or January 2020, yeah. something like that. It was early in that year, so it was like shortly after the show debuted for the first time. Yeah, so I feel like, I don't, I don't know why I never got around to it back then, but then once we started this, started the show, I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to bother now, because in two and a half years or whatever, <laughs> uh, we'll be watching it. So I haven't gotten around to it until until this episode. Yeah, I kind of had the same attitude towards it. Uh, so the first episode was released on the first day of Disney Plus, along with The Mandalorian, on November 12th, 2019. And each episode of the first season was released weekly through the end of January. And when Disney Plus first launched, all of its shows went the weekly model, uh, which had kind of gone out of fashion thanks to Netflix, which I'm kind of glad they brought it back uh, because mm -hmm. I kind of prefer that aspect of watching it. I really dislike binge watching. Uh, now, thanks to Disney Plus, that model has sort of made a comeback, forcing people to watch week to week, speculate about what's going to happen next. They may have realized 
that model was not totally necessary for everything because they abandoned it for season two of The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Goldblum's show uh, season two was split into two parts, the first half of which all dropped at once in November 2021. The second half uh, all dropped in January 2022, just a couple of months ago. So yeah, season two of The World According to Jeff Goldblum is out now, um, but didn't get as much of the uh, same press around it as, as the first season did, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I definitely remember like when it dropped, uh, but that was kind of it. It kind of disappeared, which, you know, I guess that's fair. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, I mean, we'll talk about it in a bit, but I think these kinds of shows are the kinds of things I could actually see binge watching more of than like a traditional comedy or, or drama series. Yeah. And we'll talk about why that is in a little bit. Uh, but for today's podcast, we'll be discussing the first three episodes of season one of The World According to Jeff Goldblum, the topics being sneakers, ice cream, and tattoos. The IMDb plot synopsis for The World According to Jeff Goldblum reads, a documentary series in which Goldblum pulls back the curtain on a seemingly familiar object to reveal a world of astonishing connections, fascinating science, and a whole lot of big ideas. Uh, so, Mike, like we said, we had not watched The World According to Jeff Goldblum before this podcast, despite the fact that we host a Jeff Goldblum podcast, uh, <laughs> because yes. we were both kind of just saving it for this episode. And uh, also kind of the same way we do with our other TV shows that he's a main cast member of. We t- we're talking about a limited selection of episodes. We're not talking about the entire series here. We're just kind of focusing on the first three World According to Jeff Goldblum episodes. But what were your overall thoughts on the first three episodes of the show? I was kind of I was kind of shocked at how like delightful it is, uh, which I guess I should have seen coming as Jeff Goldblum. We all we love his persona, obviously, here on the show uh, and the whole shtick. But I, I wasn't prepared for like just how much of a curious person he is and like a good, I don't know, interviewer is the correct way to phrase that. But like he's asking the experts that he's talking to or the people in the involved in whatever subculture that he's talking about, like really interesting questions and like getting them to kind of give him really interesting answers. And, and it's sort of about the larger picture and like the kind of human impulse behind whatever thing he's talking about rather than just like uh, whatever shallow version that would be. Like in the sneakers episode, he kind of mentions like, oh yeah, our sneakers also just kind of consumerist collector's item created for people to spend a ton of money on. Yes, but also, and then he has like a big <laughs> longer answer behind that and kind of about like identity and culture and all that stuff, uh, which is maybe my criticism a little bit just in these three episodes where each thing is kind of also is the same answer every time where it's like, well, it's just this kind of, you know, identifying marker for the culture that this person belongs to. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you can't have, the, can't come to the same conclusion about everything. Um, maybe the ice cream one doesn't have that quite that uh, answer, but definitely tattoos and sneakers. That's sort of the answer. If there is an answer, quote unquote, uh, by the end of each episode. But yeah, I, I, I think the people he's talking to are fun and interesting and he's kind of, you can definitely feel the National Geographic Disney money behind the people he ends up talking to. Like, yeah, of course, he goes to Ben and Jerry's. And then, yeah, sure. oh, for some reason, he's on the aircraft carrier, the USS America, uh, you know, and, and that one sneaker surgeon guy uh, whose name I don't remember. But like, yeah, of course, he gets access to oh, the Adidas headquarters and like the CEO of Adidas is doing this thing for him. You're like, yeah, okay, Disney is here. I get it. Uh, but that's fun. It's fun. It's cool to see kind of the high, le- high level stuff that he gets access to and to talk about. And then on top of that, he's quirky Jeff Goldblum and he's fun. He's fun to watch, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I thought this was a pretty fun show. You know, I didn't think it was like mega informative, but it was like just informative enough. It gave me like a taste of like the, yeah. bit, the bit of the subcultures and stuff. It kind of reminded me of History of Swear Words, actually, which we talked about on the uh, Netflix yeah. or the, the Nicolas Cage season of the podcast. Sort of similar in the way it kind of like 
packages a lot of information into one kind of bite-sized chunk, uh, and it's kind of hosted by an actor kind of playing into the meme of their personality. And I think, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's easily digestible. It's perfect, like, have on in the background kind of viewing. And I don't mean that as, like, a diss. I think it's, like, a perfect kind of thing to just have on your TV. Uh, because I kind of what I was saying before, like, as far as binging these kinds of shows go, I, I sort of get this more than I would say, like, get binging a season of Ozark all at once or something. Right. Because you kind of see these shows all the time on cable, on National Geographic or the History Channel or A&E or whatever. And so many of them are developed to just, like, fill airtime on the channel because they can produce a lot of episodes really cheaply and then syndicate the hell out of it and suddenly you're watching, like, a four-hour marathon of, like, Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown or something, right? Yeah. Like, that's I, just how cable works. <laughs> I think literally uh, like Sunday morning or like whatever, right before I watched this, I was like flipping around, drinking coffee. And I was like, I'll watch 20 minutes of Wicked Tuna. And yeah, then I go. flipped over to, yeah, I'll watch an episode of How It's Made. And then I was like, oh shit, I got to watch this Jeff Goldblum thing. And I put the Jeff Goldblum show on uh, and it just fit right in with that kind of show. I think exactly. something. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how they work. I mean, people throw these shows on because they uh, are just always on, um, and they end up being pretty popular because they're always on. They're just always around. Uh, so it's interesting to kind of see streaming get in on that wave, and I think we've seen a lot of Netflix especially do a lot of reality-type shows. You know, Your Love is Blind is a big thing on Netflix right now. The Great British Baking Show, I know, is very popular, right? And mm -hmm. those are shows that, like, feel like they would just be like filling, like one channel would just get one of those shows and play that for like 18 out of their 24 hours a day, like 10 <laughs> years ago, right? That's, that's how it would work. <laughs> it's it's doctors, it's like waiting room TV, you know? Right, yeah, but like, you know, there's something comforting about that and people yeah. get like really addicted uh, to these kinds of shows and I think uh, the world according to Jeff Goldblum uh, kind of fits into that. So uh, the show, this show's advantage is that it has Jeff Goldblum at its center. Uh, and so whenever the show is talking about whatever topic it is that week, it's also about Jeff Goldblum learning about that topic. And so right. it, it feels like you're learning about everything along with him. Uh, so in that sense, I think he's like a perfect kind of introductory host because he, he actually deliberately avoided doing any kind of research beforehand um, so that each episode would kind of have a sense of discovery to it uh, mm. that he would like kind of bring that to it, uh, which is kind of a cool uh, detail about it. Um, and I think it's kind of a cool, like palatable National Geographic show because National Geographic makes a ton of like really interesting educational TV shows and stuff. Uh, and they are mostly fairly dry. I feel like, right. That's sort of their thing. And I mean, not necessarily, but like the kind of thing that you would put on like in your seventh grade biology class or whatever, and you're watching a national geographic special or however it's going to work. And the world according to Jeff Goldblum feels like something that they can like produce that more people will watch than their typical national geographic documentary that will allow them to continue to have the funding to make the other kind of more in-depth stuff that they make. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched like national net geo as the cool kids call it. Mike. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm not one of the cool kids. I, I don't really watch a ton of like reality documentary TV. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know necessarily how far National Geographic Channel, how, Net, whatever Net Geo, has fallen from the off the pedestal. Like Discovery Channel and History Channel and all those things are just all fucking ancient aliens. Sure, uh, Pawn Stars, Pawn Stars. Yeah, garbage shit like that. Uh, so like, I don't know if National Geographic still has that kind of school educational special stuff anymore. In, in my mind, National Geographic is whatever it was when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, so I don't know necessarily if that's still true, which is scary. Is all I was gonna say. But yeah, this definitely feels more. Uh, World According to Jeff Goldblum definitely feels more entry-level kind of 10,000-foot 
view kind of st- stuff of whatever topic he's talking about, which I, I, I like. So it's fun to see Jeff Goldblum learn some stuff, you know? Exactly. So uh, what did you think of Jeff Goldblum as the host of The World According to Jeff Goldblum? I thought he was great. I thought, I thought like I said before, he asks uh, interesting questions and you can tell he's kind of genuinely, uh, at least for these three episodes at least, genuinely interested, especially in the tattoo one. He seemed like particularly smitten with whatever subculture that was. Yeah. Uh, and maybe for a specific reason, uh, <laughs> like an ego, ego reason, uh, which I guess we'll get into if we run down the episodes. I don't know how we're going to structure this episode per se. But yeah, I thought that one was really interesting. I thought uh, there's a really, really interesting moment in the sneaker one when he's talking to that sneaker surgeon guy and he kind of like lets the facade down and he says like, you know, the bohemian artist, jazz musician, poet thing, or at least that's what i'm trying to affect uh and i was like what <laughs> like i saw oz behind the curtain for a second there right. uh, <laughs> you know um so that was fun uh but yeah i think overall he, he's he's really engaging and fun to watch and he seems interested and in when he's like rummaging through the forest with the guy in the ice cream i was like i want to be there i want to frolic through the ferns with jeff goldblum uh <laughs> in the pacific northwestern forests so it was fun i was i think you know this kind of thing with anybody else would not be as engaging i don't know who i would want to replace him you know if you had a pick kind of deal like who would be the dream version of this if it's not jeff goldblum i mean it's tough because uh, his name's in the title well exactly imagine <laughs> right with world according to jeff goldblum with and then with ryan seacrest or whatever yeah exactly <laughs> that'd be so tough that was a um, dick clark's rock and eve joke for anybody <laughs> uh for all the parents listening at home yeah. uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked it. What, what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in this? I, I think he's great. I think he's having a lot of fun. He seems genuinely thrilled to be kind of taking in all these activities that he's doing in each episode. You know, genuinely excited to learn more about each topic. And I think we have learned over the course of this podcast just how much of a curious person he is kind of by nature. I mean, we see him, you know, it, he has a couple of wheelhouses that he goes into as an actor, right? He has similar yeah. tics with a lot of his characters and there's a few different like archetypes that he goes into, you know, he plays artists or he plays scientists or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this show is sort of actually perfect for him because it allows him to kind of explore whatever he wants to do. Uh, and it's also very much leaning into the internet meme slash perception of who Jeff Goldblum is, right? Uh, Which I think he's leaned into in the past, but I think he's leaned into that a lot more over the last few years. And I think, honestly, like kind of watching these three episodes, I was like, this is like the definitive work of what modern Goldblum is. Like the modern Jeff Goldblum era, I feel like is completely, like you can look to this show and be like, this is what Jeff Goldblum's career is right now. Like he still appears in movies sometimes, he still pops up in things here and there. Mm-hmm. He appears on TV. He appears in movies. Uh, and he references his own past on this show a lot. I mean, he talks about his old movies. He talks about his life in Pittsburgh and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he mentions his love for jazz music a few times uh, here and mm-hmm. there uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I think uh, this show kind of gets to the heart of, like, who Jeff Goldblum is as a person along with the actual topics that he's like talking about any, in any given episode. Yeah. Yeah. The trajectory that we started with, uh, run, Ronnie run <laughs> really peaks in world according to <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, we've seen him play himself before and it's usually like, you know, it's, I mean, it's usually like a comedy bit or it's, it's obviously like an affected version of himself where it's run, Ronnie run, or I mean, Pittsburgh, I guess would be the biggest example, right. um, which I wanted to mention too, in the roles that we've seen him play so far, because he plays himself in Pittsburgh. Uh, it obviously draws a lot from his own experience growing up in Pittsburgh and, uh, this movie or this show 
takes him to Pittsburgh at one point in the third episode uh, yeah. and actually has him celebrate Jeff Goldblum Day, which is part of the movie Pittsburgh. Which I think when we talked about Pittsburgh, uh, we were wondering if that was real. Uh, <laughs> we're like, is it really Jeff Goldblum Day? Yep. Uh, and lo and behold, here we are. Turns out, 14 years later, whatever it was, we found out on the world's court of Jeff Goldblum that, yes, uh, Jeff Goldblum Day in Pittsburgh is a real day, uh, which is kind of a cool thing. So, yeah, I think this, the way the show kind of builds upon his history and the way he kind of takes to it uh, and is able to reference his own past and kind of reference his life throughout it, uh, I think adds a lot to it. And so, yeah, I think he's, I mean, the, the show, like, without him would be vastly different because it just wouldn't be the same show essentially. Yeah. Like there, there are other shows hosted by other people that, you know, are about different topics and stuff. Uh, you know, that, uh, there are shows of people going to different places and exploring different topics, uh, but there's only one Jeff Goldblum, and if you take him out of the show, it's not going to be the same show. <laughs> True. Good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so, so I mentioned Pittsburgh, but how do you think this fits into the other uh, Goldblum roles we've seen so far, Mike? Uh, well, definitely Pittsburgh. I think that's the big one. Uh, yeah. Also, specifically the first episode made me think of Reigns. Because it starts with kind of like a, uh, so I'm go Jeff Goldblum walking down an alleyway doing this weird voiceover about <laughs> wanting to learn stuff. And it's kind of like I got this little bit of a hard-boiled aff affectation thing he's doing in that yeah. first episode, at least. It's like, we're going to take a cold, hard look at and then sneakers. You know, it's revealing the title for that, or like the subject for that episode. Uh, so those are really the only two things that's, that's stuck out to me, I guess, on top of run Ronnie run and and tim and eric's billion dollar movie where he's chef goldblum uh, right all those times he's played himself uh or done like a comedy cameo type thing he does an elephant thing in the ice cream so i guess we can throw that back to the tall guy uh <laughs> where he was in the elephant man musical it, yes correct <laughs> where, uh, in my head canon he learned how to do that for that movie uh sure yes that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I didn't really, you know, connect it back necessarily to anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a difficult thing just because it's so different from everything else he's done. But uh, yeah, Pittsburgh, I think, will be the big one. Uh, there are Goldblum movies referenced throughout these first three episodes, too, which there may be more in other episodes of the show. But uh, definitely like the Fly references, Jurassic Park references, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think it is notable because it is Goldblum's first time ever working for a streaming service. Yeah, doing, doing something on streaming, which uh, also reminds me, I mean, if history of swear words, that was Nicolas Cage's first time doing anything with a streaming service. Both actors have kind of avoided the streaming game, it seems like, for the most part, uh, which yeah. I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's pretty wild considering how pervasive it is right now, you know? Yes, how we ran that down in the first 10 minutes of this episode. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So let's run it down scene by scene. Talk about the world according to Jeff Goldblum. And I think we'll start with episode one. Usually uh, that's how sequentially it goes. Uh, although I'm mean, watching this show and, you know, I've, I've seen this kind of sentiment kind of growing a little bit online lately. Uh, streaming services need to add like a random button for certain shows. Oh, yeah. I've, People have been saying that forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, um, I mean, The Simpsons. Is on Disney Plus now, but it used to be on FX Now. And that was like, it was a big deal when it launched in FX Now. They called it like Simpsons World, right? It was like a whole right. thing that just streamed The Simpsons. And they had a random button there. So you can just hit random and watch any random episode of The Simpsons. It was glorious. Like you didn't have to choose. It was great. It was, you know, it replicated the experience just flipping on cable and seeing what's on. And oh, hey, here's The Simpsons and it's this episode, right? right. Uh, and for some reason, like all the streaming services refuse to do that. I believe HBO Max is starting to do it. Um, for certain shows, I believe they've added one to like friends and stuff like that, hmm. uh, which like that's the ideal kind of show to watch it for. But, uh, yeah, I think a random episode button for a show like the world according to Jeff Goldblum be perfect. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's how the show would be watched if it was on cable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially I think, uh, on the like Nat national geographic section, that'd be amazing, uh, on Disney plus. Cause that's like you said, 
that's the kind of experience you have on those channels anyway. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and any kind of Nat Geo programming, you don't like specifically seek out like your leopard documentary. You kind of right. just stumble upon it, right? <laughs> exactly. I think I said leopard documentary because the logo for National Geographic has like a leopard in it, right? Am I thinking of that right? <laughs> wow, I think you're correct. Yes. <laughs> When I picture National Geographic, I picture like a leopard staring at me for some reason. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's like half right. in shadow. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Uh, all right, so let's run it down scene by scene, beginning with episode one, and that is Sneakers. Uh, and so this episode kind of starts off with Goldblum introducing himself and kind of explaining the concept of the show. Every episode kind of starts with a little little Goldblum intro, but this one I think works a little bit harder to sell you and like this is what the show is, like episode to episode kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's why it's like a little more, a little longer than the other ones. Yeah. That's why it stood out to me as the Reigns connection, because that started with the long voiceover. Exactly. And so he's introducing himself and doing the voiceover, and he's like, oh, I'm Jeff Goldblum. I'm an actor. I've been in some movies. I play some jazz music. I'm a curious cat. And he does like the row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is great. Uh, and yeah, he's kind of just introducing the concept of the show and, uh, you know, standing in front of this wall of sneakers saying like the wall of sneakers behind me is worth like how much would you guess it's worth? It's worth like a million dollars, which is crazy like that. Those yeah. that, those sneakers amount that of money. And then we're kind of off to the races. The first thing we see Goldblum do is go to SneakerCon, um, which is a real convention where people just swap sneakers. So the one thing that I found, like watching the sneaker episode, which I really enjoyed because yeah. I've heard about sneaker culture, but um, this show, I've never seen like SneakerCon before, before watching your episode. I didn't even know about it. Once a year they have it, and where did we go in Baltimore? I don't remember the city, but I did remember the amounts of wads of cash that were on display. It's amazing. I didn't know. They, they don't really exchange with anything but cash. So they had big bags of cash there, paying un, unbelievable amounts for sneakers, which are highly prized now. You know, in the last couple of decades, there's been an explosion of these things. I didn't know about any of it. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I forget how much money they say changes hands uh, during SneakerCon, but somebody says it, and it's a lot of dollars. It's it's an absurd amount of money. There's uh, Also, Goldblum has one line here. And one of the strengths of the show is that Goldblum's a fucking weirdo. Uh, yeah. And and so he'll just like say things that like nobody else is like reacting to. But, you know, there's one moment where he's talking about sneaker con and he's talking about he's talking about all the people that are there. And he's like, oh, it's Burston. It's Burston with people. It's Ellen Burston with people. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had to like rewind it to make sure that's what he said. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's Ellen bursting with people. It's sneaker con. And so he's talking to people around sneaker con and, you know, he's kind of getting a feel for the place and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, there's this moment where he watches this cash deal go down. He's like talking to a sneaker guy, like a, a guy who is selling a bunch of sneakers and some guy like comes up from the shadows and is like, I'll give you $34,000 for the sneakers. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah. You want to give me your credit card information? He's like, no in cash. <laughs> And then you see them like do this deal behind Goldblum while he's like expressing how shady this is uh, and like making a bunch of Godfather references like, yeah. to the camera. He's doing <laughs> like a Godfather monologue. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, Fredo, I'm going to put this uh, suitcase of $2 million down on the table. And when I come back, it'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and it's pretty, it's just really funny to watch. Yeah. That was, that moment is wild. Cause like, yeah, the guy says like, will you do a bank transfer? Uh, and the dude's like, no, I want cat or whatever. I want it in cash. And he's like, can we talk about this off camera? <laughs> like, yeah. What the fuck? Um, we're <laughs> like something illegal just into, happened. <laughs> yeah. We're seven minutes into this Disney show. What is going on? <laughs> uh, yeah. So those guys do a cash deal off camera and then go and then they come back on. Goldman's like, hey, so we have a deal. It's like, yeah, we're good. Like, all right, great. <laughs> SneakerCon on three. Yeah, it's very funny. Yes, yeah, which is great. Uh, and yeah, so SneakerCon is a, a whole scene. And then he goes to Adidas HQ, uh, which he pronounces Adidas. Uh, Ad 
Adidas. Yeah. It's like, ah, yes, here we are. It's Adidas, Adidas headquarters. Or as some people say, uh, Adidas. <laughs> yeah, he just turns around and walks up the stairs. You're yeah. like, okay, Jeff Goldblum. It's great. Uh, and so, yeah, and so he's kind of talking to the CEO of uh, Adidas, and they're, uh, they see this, like, woman on a treadmill, and they're kind of analyzing. There's, like, this sneaker technology that can read emotions and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. there's, there's like a lie detector test almost that he takes with the sneaker. Yeah. And I, I love, it's like a camera rig thing he puts on his face that will m- measure his facial muscle responses and right. dictate what his, you know, pump out what his emotion is on the computer screen. Uh, and I love that moment cause Goldblum's like, you know, I'm an actor. Uh, so he <laughs> yeah. like, tell me what, what emotion you want it to say. And he's like, uh, be sad. Oh, and it's Goldblum doing these big faces and the computer <laughs> says he's sad. And it's pretty funny. Yes. He's like, hey, you are a good actor. He's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, there's the Adidas HQ thing. And then he goes to Los Angeles and he hangs out with some kids playing basketball for a bit. And he's just hanging out with them and talking about how sneakers uh, represent a bunch of stuff in, like, basketball culture and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, they make a reference to, like, they, everybody has, like, a different basketball nickname. And it's like, oh, what would my nickname be? It's like, in your prime, uh, probably the fly. And it's like, in my, in my prime? <laughs> <laughs> it just fucking dunks on Goldblum. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but th- those people, that was also part of the thing. Like some of them are like Harlem Globetrotters and some of the, like, there's a WNBA player there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's like, like, oh yeah, Disney. Right. Okay. <laughs> like they're getting real <laughs> they people to come. bring these people together and uh, yeah. all that kind of stuff, which every, every episode jumps you to like four or five different locations like all around the country too. Yeah. It's pretty um, crazy. Which is pretty wild. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually really curious, like how they filmed this show <laughs> like if they like carefully mapped out every episode where it's like okay we're gonna be in california for right now and we can film segments for episodes like one three five seven and nine or whatever like in this like kind of tri-city area or whatever right and then yeah we're gonna go to hawaii maybe we could film like three and six here or whatever like you know all that kind of stuff i was i'm wondering if or or, or if they filmed every episode sequentially and just had goldblum traveling back and forth to every different city <laughs> just going one day in every city flying <laughs> everywhere they it was a lovely schedule rigorous but lovely i i didn't want to be away from my wife and two kids i got a little boy four-year-old and another two-year-old boy uh but no, we kept going, and it sort of started to expand as we as we went. And for the last I don't know five six months, we've been you know I did I didn't leave home for more than a week or so at a time, uh, and then I'd have a little break back home. But no, we 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 kept going. It was like a great summer camp of some kind, or a couple of season camp that took me where I wouldn't have gone otherwise all over America. I do know that filming was halted uh, for season two a little bit uh, during the pandemic. I think they were mm-hmm. like, I think they had just started filming season two when uh, when COVID hit. And so that kind of put a wrench into things. So I'd be, I'd be curious to see what season two is like, if there's any kind of difference with it. Um, because obviously most of it will have been filmed post COVID and all that kind of stuff. So if right. there's like a difference between that and season one, I'm sure there is. Um, but yeah, it could be interesting, but, uh, yeah, so there's this whole basketball sequence and then, uh, Goldblum goes to meet with this, uh, designer shoe painter, uh, or the shoe sculptor or whatever it is. Right. Right. Yeah. This is the shoe surgeon guy I was talking about. Yeah. Well, he also tells that, that Chucky Goldblum story, uh, yeah. that his dad's brother uh, with the almost made it in the NBA apparently. And then that comes up with this, you know, custom shoe designer guy uh, as like part of the style shoe that Goldblum wants to have yes. made, like in reference to this family history. Yeah, uh, I think I think he was inspired by his experience with the basketball players and stuff. And he brings the uh, the photo over to the shoe guy, and it has it's like a photo of old Chucky Goldblum, and he has like a Letterman jacket with a W on it. And so the guy right. kind of takes that and starts building out uh, his shoes. 
the, that's the moment where the guy's asking him, like, you know, okay, general styles, you know, emotions, moods, whatever. And that's where Goldblum's saying, like, you know, a bohemian uh, artist, poet thing. And at least that's what I'm trying to affect. And I was like, yes. oh, God, <laughs> my, whole, my whole reality has been shattered. The facade is crumbling down. Yeah. Uh, also, I really loved right, like, right after they kind of get everything situated, the guy's like, hey, so listen, are dinosaurs, you know, are they real? <laughs> and and yeah. Goldblum's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> Very good. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, some corners of the internet, they like, you know, they they don't believe that uh, dinosaurs actually existed. And Goldblum's like, eh, I mean, how how do I put this nicely? Uh, those people are incorrect. <laughs> yeah, it's such a <laughs> diplomatic answer he gives, uh, which is pretty great. Um, and then yeah, so after that, the guy's working on the shoes, and Goldblum uh, goes to a vlogger named Jacques Slade. Uh, who is an unboxer? He like is a YouTube yeah. unboxer, and that he all his whole thing is he unboxes different pairs of shoes. Has like a million followers on YouTube and everything, and uh, he shows Goldblum how to do a proper shoe unboxing. Yeah, 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 and he gets him to do one with his like goofy little awkward intro thing he makes Goldblum <laughs> yeah. come up with. Uh, it's very yeah. funny. Goldblum's like, I do something like percussive, and he like hits the yeah. <laughs> hits the boxes and stuff. I think one of my favorite lines in this entire these three episodes is Goldblum introducing the Nike shoe, and it's like Nike has come out with a grassy, <laughs> grassy shoe. <laughs> yes, very uh, good. So they're talking about kind of the idea of unboxing, and uh, I think you know the vlogger is kind of talking to Goldblum about like why he thinks people like unboxing videos, because at the surface of it, it is just, you know, opening a box and showing off a shoe that is not yours. And, you know, he's talking about like, you know, we are wired for the pursuit of happiness, but the, there's a little bit of like endorphins that get rushed to your brain when you're opening a present that is often better than the actual present itself. Uh, like the idea of opening it. And so the, the unboxing videos kind of, you know, give people that a similar sense of that rush is kind of what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, the like little bit of the like human element stuff that comes up in all the episodes that I kind of, yeah. I kind of enjoyed, you know, where it's sort of like, we're going to take a minute and, and talk a little bit about why, people are interested in these things other than the like consumerist answer or whatever, which, which the, I was like happy, a little bit shocked that Goldblum acknowledges that like he takes a minute and says like, yeah, that of course that's true also, but you get this dopamine rush and that shit's fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely. And then the episode ends with uh Goldblum getting the shoes that, uh, you know, the designer made for him. Uh, and he does like an unboxing of it. Uh, he like takes it to the camera and, uh, does like a thing where it's like, Oh, and if you don't want to actually see what the shoes are, if you want to just get that rush and be done with it, the camera cuts black right now and it cuts to black. Uh, and then it comes back and he opens the shoes uh, and they're like this like pitch black shoe because he kind of described like I like black and dark gray and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And then he sees like the undertone, like the undertongue of it. And it's like a zebra print that looks like similar to the jacket that Chucky Goldblum's wearing. And then he sees like a W on the back of the shoe. And it's like, oh, it's, it's a, this is a cool thing that he was able to kind of take that photo and turn it into a shoe. Right. So that was very cool. I, I liked all that. Yeah. So that is uh, that is episode one of The World According to Jeff Goldblum. And if you weren't sold on that one, maybe you kept watching on Disney Plus and you watched episode two instead. Uh, and that would be Ice Cream. I will say to you that anyone who's watching this who ends up watching the Ice Cream episode 
you better have ice cream in the freezer. Because <laughs> as soon as I finished that episode, I went right to my freezer and started eating. So yes. thanks a lot, Jeff. You're so welcome. What flavor did you have in your freezer? Uh, it was like a vanilla caramel something or other. It was very good. <gasps> oh, I love ice cream. And I had denied myself ice cream low these many decades because I've been, kind of, you know, maybe a bite here or there. But, you know, I ate more on that show. And uh, and we visited that USS America. We visited the brave men and women of on that aircraft carrier and brought them because they have ice cream. So I didn't know they brought ice, you know, they have ice cream socials to, you know, ease their loneliness and difficulty and great challenges, you know, and it's somehow ice cream has the power to be nostalgic and uh, make them feel good. And again, similar format to the first episode. They all kind of follow the sim a similar format. It's just Goldblum kind of jumping to different locations, talking to different people and uh, kind of looking at different aspects of the sort of subculture, and uh, this week it's ice cream. Uh, so it kind of starts with Goldblum doing an ice cream truck ride along in Nevada, uh, and he kind of reflects back on uh, going to Isley's Ice Cream in Pittsburgh and like the his feeling of going to ice cream when he was a kid and all that kind of stuff. Uh, which I, I I really like the way the show kind of builds on Goldblum's own history too. It's like very much about his own kind of upbringing, and he brings his own experiences to it uh, for yeah. every single topic that they talk about. Yeah, yeah, and it has that very funny moment. Like, you know, I like they they included this where Goldblum gets in the truck, the ice cream truck, and, like, the woman, the driver, is, like, has her seatbelt on, and he says, like, oh, I always feel weird about wearing seatbelts on camera, and then just, like, the radio cuts in, and they're like, oh, Jeff, please buckle your seatbelt. Uh, <laughs> Like, I don't know why they left that in, and that was that was fun. So, yeah, yeah. And then whatever meetup thing they were at, I really want to go to. <laughs> like, that, yeah, like, was, 50s uh, cars fashion show in the yeah. parking lot. Yeah, it was Nostalgia Fest in Las Vegas, uh, yeah. which, yeah, I never heard of. Every episode, every one of these three episodes has Goldblum going to a different convention, Yeah, uh, which is kind of weird. But, uh, yeah, Nostalgia Fest in Las Vegas. And, yeah, it's, like, a 50s-style thing where everybody's dressed up in, like, 50s garb, and, you know, it's all old cars and, you know, all this old-school kind of ice cream that's going to be there. I mean, that's where the... That's where the ice cream truck is. Mm -hmm. uh, and Goldblum's like in the truck and he's serving ice cream to people. And he's kind of just interviewing people about, you know, what what does ice cream mean to you? Yeah, yeah. And this one was really interesting about the, the specific nostalgia effect of ice cream and how universally every person he interviews or every person they included in the episode at least – uh, talks about how when they eat ice cream, they're immediately transported back to being eight years old with their parents yeah. doing whatever thing they were doing in the summertime. And it was pretty fascinating to see that everybody had that. That was Goldblum's initial reaction too when he talks about it. And I and I liked that in this section too, the the woman who owns that truck is like, ah, this person's Sherbert. Uh, this person's Vidal. Like she can just like look at you and tell yep. you like, tell what kind of flavor of ice cream you're going to ask for. Uh, and she was right for all of them, which is very fun. Yes, that was pretty cool. And so, yeah, they do that. They're at Nostalgia Fest. And then Goldblum goes across the country. He's in Burlington, Vermont, and he meets with both Ben and Jerry. Uh, some of pretty course. heavy hitters here. <laughs> yes, probably the kings of ice cream. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so, uh, you know, they're talking to Goldblum about, uh, you know, how they kind of got their start. And actually, I mean, I didn't know this, and uh, I thought this was kind of interesting how, uh, you know, I guess Ben of Ben and Jerry has, you know, whatever disorder that causes him to have very limited smell and taste. Yeah, um, like he can't really he can't really smell or taste anything unless it's like incredibly sweet or like incredibly flavorful. Uh, so the way their taste testing production would work is that Jerry would like keep adding flavor to an ice cream until Ben could taste it. Uh, right. And then it would be ready for market, <laughs> which is crazy. I love that. That's a thing. And it's why Ben and Jerry's is the way it is. Yeah, I guess so. So that worked out for Ben and Jerry, and they talk about that for a little bit. And then Goldblum visits uh, the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard, which I guess is a real place that exists. <laughs> I kind of want to go. That, that looks hilarious. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like a literal cemetery filled with all the discontinued Ben and Jerry's flavors. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's and they all have like poems attached to all their names and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. Goldman's like reading off a few of them, uh, which that that was pretty fun. That was pretty cool. Yeah, they all have like little whimsical limericks about <laughs> about their. They're like. <laughs> Like little Halloween things. I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. Uh, yeah. About their untimely demises, you know? Exactly. But yeah, so he visits the Flavor Graveyard, and then he meets with this guy behind this company called Salt and Straw, which I guess has been making a name for themselves as far as ice cream goes because of their incredibly unique flavors that they keep kind of developing. Uh, and he's like taking you through some of the different flavors they have. There's like one flavor that involves crickets, which like fucking gross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, that, that there is a market for that. People are into, Some people are into that kind of thing. And he's kind of just experimenting with different ice cream flavors and all that kind of stuff. And he and Goldblum work together to create a Jeff Goldblum ice cream. Yes. Yeah, it reminded me of Pig, to be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he goes to that, like, fancy restaurant and destroys that guy for not opening a pub. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what this made me think of. Plus, you know, they're walking in Oregon. They're, like, walking yeah. in the Oregon forest, which is where... Uh, Nicholas Cage would have been in Pig with his truffle pig and True. doing his thing. Uh, but yeah, they they start walking around in the Oregon forest and uh, he'd go from saying things like, uh, they called me mad at the Institute. Uh, but, he, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they will see because I will bring my ice cream to the forefront or whatever. And they're like kind of picking out different ingredients and stuff like that to kind of put together in this Goldblum ice cream. So they develop it and they take this Goldblum ice cream uh, to this Navy ice cream social on uh, on, this on this Navy ship. USS America, I think is what he said it was, the right, aircraft yeah. carrier. Uh, yeah, and then gives like a brief history of ice cream being used in World War II as like a uh, morale booster. Yeah, <laughs> like there was like a float. There was like a floating ice cream factory for the Navy, like alongside one of the battleships or something. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Wild. Um, and then that kind of sparked this tradition of doing ice cream socials uh, on on the ships. Uh, and he brings his his art artisanal Goldblum flavor ice cream for one of us. Yes. Yeah. He brings the Goldblum ice cream and they all taste it. And they're talking about, you know, Goldblum's ice cream and the power of nostalgia. And it's very similar to the stuff from before where they're all talking about, you know, what does ice cream mean to you? And it's like, it brings me back to when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they're talking about nostalgia in the way, like how powerful of an emotion it is and how ice cream like brings that out, uh, which was pretty interesting. Yeah. It's a little bit of science sprinkled on top of your fun, Jeff Goldblum shenanigans, you know? Exactly. And then the end of the episode ends with uh, Goldblum kind of summarizing everything while he's on a beach and licking an ice cream cone. And then he, like, runs down the beach and sings Tomorrow from Annie. And then the episode ends. You know, it's the thing that I noticed in almost every episode. Goldblum just sings a lot. He does. You know, like a couple <laughs> lines of a song to everybody. Uh, and it's very funny. Yeah, which just sounds correct, right? That Doesn't that sound yeah. like a, a thing that happens? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so that is the end of episode two, uh, the ice cream episode. And now it's time to talk about uh, our last episode of the show, uh, which is episode three, Tattoos. And I think this was probably my favorite of the three episodes. Yeah, me too. It felt like the most interesting. This one opens up uh, with Goldblum at a tattoo convention in Baltimore. You know, they're kind of going through all these like different tattoo booths. You're seeing a few Jeff Goldblum tattoos, you know, while you're, while you're there, yeah, of course. Uh, which is kind of fun. And, uh, you know, Goldblum has this like great throwaway where he's like, uh, you know, talking about like, I, I never had a tattoo, you know, personally, and, you know, uh, in, in Jewish culture, tattoos, eh, they're a little taboo because of the whole Holocaust thing, you know, yeah. he's like kind of throws it out there as an aside, which, you know, is, is actually like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, and he even says, like, sorry. Like, uh, you know, like he kind of feels, like, bad about even bringing that up. Uh, right. 
But yeah, it's, there's like a little fleeting, genuine, very genuine moments of Goldblum here. Exactly, yeah. And so he uh, kind of tosses that in there, um, but then he's kind of diving into the world of tattoos and you're seeing people do like a tattoo competition uh, and somebody wins it who has like, this big face tattoo with the roses kind of going through it and stuff. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's pretty cool. And uh, I, I'm not somebody who has any tattoos, but uh, I appreciate the artistry behind them. I don't think I would ever get one for myself. I kind of feel like Jeff Goldblum where I'm like, I don't, uh, I feel like as soon as I look at one, I'll be like, oh, that's cool. And then the next day I'll be like, I don't want this in my body anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The same. I do not have any tattoos, but yeah, that, I thought that was also very interesting and genuine too, where he talks about being someone that is like sort of flighty by nature and just sort of uh, every couple of months he thinks, you know, he thinks he's settled on his style, his persona, his personality. And then the next day or a few weeks later, he's like, no, nope, totally time for something different. Uh, yep. So he's like, how can I commit to a permanent uh, thing for the rest of my life. So, so no, no tattoos for Goldblum <laughs> yeah, or exactly. maybe. Oh yeah. Question mark. Uh, we'll find out later maybe, but, uh, yeah, at the convention, he meets up with this, uh, tattoo legend, Shanghai Kate, just really good at tattoos. And has been around doing it for a long time. Uh, and she helps Goldblum tattoo a fake hand. She has like a like plastic hand or a rubber hand that he's able to work on. Uh, and he's able to like kind of use the tattoo machine to figure it out. And he tattoos a light bulb onto the fake hand, but it's like pretty good. He's like, wow, good job. Yeah, and then it's a perfect segue into the history lesson that kind of goes in there where it turns out Edison, of course, you know, invented the light bulb, also paved the way for uh, modern tattoos with his electric sewing machine. Yeah, that was fascinating that he was uh, trying to print on multiple sheets of paper at a time, I believe, uh, by stabbing ink through piles of stacks of paper. Uh, And (laughs) of course, I don't think that worked, but it's the... uh, (laughs) But it became the basis for what tattoo machines ended up being. Exactly. (laughs) Which is kind of wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And they talk about like the actual immune system reaction to getting a tattoo and like the reason tattoos work the way they work is because as soon as like the needle goes through your body and the ink and stuff, the body like fights back against it and it pushes the ink up to the surface and that becomes the tattoo. Uh, Yeah. Cool. Cool. Cool stuff. Didn't never hadn't really thought about before. Like, it's neat to know about. Neat. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff Goldblum. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So after that, I mean, you have this whole tattoo convention thing. And then I think one of the more interesting things about this episode and what I kind of what I think is cool about this show is that, uh, you know, it is a, an episode about tattoos and it could have just been about the people at the convention and stuff. Uh, and instead, he travels to Hawaii and actually learns about like the cultural significance of tattoos over there. Uh, and I found that kind of a fascinating kind of interlude in the episode, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that might be why. This is my favorite episode is this section because I was nervous that they weren't necessarily, you know, I don't know if nervous is the right word, that they weren't going to include this type of representation or consideration into this tattoo episode. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, as in like indigenous and native populations and stuff, tattoos have immense cultural meaning and impact and stuff. Uh, and for them to take that time, like a whole section of the like third of the episode to be about that. Uh, I was like, Oh yes. Awesome. This is fascinating. And, and, that one guy uh, whose name I don't remember that's like kind of like arbiter of this technique uh, in yeah. Hawaii uh, and like talking about their like sort of pseudo or just actually religious implications of all this stuff uh, was was really fascinating. Yeah, because he's like teaching Goldblum about mana and how mana is like the spiritual power and like by putting the tattoo there, it sort of like channels your mana that's given there from you from your birth and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I found that stuff pretty interesting. Uh, I also got Goldblum making a joke, uh, which I thought was funny. Uh, that like took me a second. Somebody's about to get a tattoo and uh, Goldblum's like, oh man, here it goes. I'm on pins and needles just thinking about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he like bugs at the camera. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, solid stuff. And then uh, after the whole Hawaii interlude, uh, then he goes to San Francisco and uh, talks to this guy at a tech startup uh, who's working on these like temporary technology tattoos, which were fucking wild. Um, and <laughs> that shit had big uh, like Theranos, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> tech, like Silicon Valley vibes. We're like, this yes. is a fraud. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is it money laundering. It felt like, I mean, if it's real, like in the wrong hands, this could spell disaster for the human race, right? But yeah, like, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but like the idea of it is kind of interesting yeah. uh, where it's like a temporary tattoo you put in your body for like two weeks and it like analyzes your body's health uh, and it can tell you if you're like in the sun too much. Like it, it can like show you like, you know, if you've been in the sun too long, like, hey, get in some shade right now kind of thing. Or yeah. if you need to drink more water, it can tell you to hydrate or that kind of thing, which, you know, I, I could see that. I don't think it'll be something that becomes like a widely used thing. <laughs> it like will only be widely used to oppress people somehow. Like that's the only <laughs> like that while I was watching it, I was like, this will be used to track workers in a warehouse. Like that's it. That's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. Um, but like the idea of it uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> Seems neat. Yeah, I mean, we already have like Fitbits and stuff, which do all that. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think exactly. Like, we, we've already reached that technology. We don't necessarily need to put it on our body, but this guy is trying to do that. So there's that. And then there's a fun moment towards the end where they're sitting on the bench, and Jeff Goldblum's like, "Aha! It's like the end of Notting Hill. You ever see that movie?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, yeah, like Julia Roberts, right?" And yeah. And then there's like an awkward silence, and it's like, "What are you doing?" Like, uh, and Goldblum's like, "I'm being Julia Roberts." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the guy's like, "I don't know the words. You got to do it." <laughs> like, very good. <laughs> Uh, and then from there, uh, we travel to Pittsburgh, uh, Jeff Goldblum's hometown. Uh, and today is Jeff Goldblum Day. Uh, you know, he gets there on Jeff Goldblum Day. Uh, and it turns out on Jeff Goldblum Day, uh, Artisan Tattoo, this tattoo place in Pittsburgh, uh, they do an all-day Goldblum event where people stop by and get Jeff Goldblum tattoos. Yes. Yeah, and I love the moment as he's like, they're on the street, right? He's in the car. And they're driving past the front and he rolls down the window and he's like, oh, shit, they looked at me. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, no, don't 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 notice it's me. Don't notice it's me. Like as they drive by, uh, it's very funny. Like he almost blew it, you know? Yes. Yeah. Which was pretty great. And yeah, he crashes the party. He goes in there and everybody goes nuts for Jeff Goldblum showing up at Jeff Goldblum Day and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and then he actually like goes kind of, you know, in the back and uh, ha there's this guy getting a tattoo uh, of Jeff Goldblum. It's like. Jeff Goldblum's body or Jeff Goldblum's head on like a dinosaur body, but doing the pose from Jurassic Park, right? The, uh, the yeah. shirtless pose thing, right? Yeah, or something like that. It's something with a raptor and, and Goldblum and It's like whatever. a Goldblum raptor mashup, which I guess is technically a fly joke also. Hmm, deep cut. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but this guy's getting a Jeff Goldblum tattoo anyway, and uh, Goldblum actually gets to contribute to it. Uh, you know, he's been learning about doing tattoos this entire half hour, uh, and he sees this Goldblum tattoo somebody's getting, and he's able to like, kind of fill in like part of the tattoo. They don't let him do the whole thing, but he gets to do like part of the tattoo. Yeah, I love this guy's moment, too, because I forget what his name was, uh, but Goldblum says to him, like, oh, can I call you Mr. Whatever? And he's like, uh, actually, it's Doctor. <laughs> like, <laughs> they correct, like, it's like they put the X over Mr. and then put Doctor, like, on the subtitle for yeah. him. Uh, but, like, good for that guy for season his moment. Yeah, um, throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Goldblum colors in a little bit of his tattoo and, you know, it gets to be part of that story forever now, which I think is what the tattoo artist says, like the actual guy doing it. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then Jeff Goldblum's subtitle, like, changes to Jeff Goldblum tattoo artist uh, yeah. also, uh, which is fun. So, yeah, he gets to contribute to that guy's tattoo and he uh, leaves the event and he's standing outside and, like, okay, now that we're outside of there, 
I'm nobody again. And he's like, there's people passing him on the street that don't even notice that he's around. <laughs> that he's yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. And then, you know, he's kind of summarizing the episode up once again, and then he hints that uh, he may or may not have gotten a tattoo as well. But, uh, you know, he's not saying anything. He, you know, I don't think he did. I think he's just kind of throwing that there. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he got something a little small somewhere or something like uh Yeah. But... Yeah, that was a pretty fun moment. And yeah, he has that kind of big human response, human element takeaway about uh, tattoos being a like a way for people to claim their uniqueness and identity. And like, you know, somebody may look sort of like you, but nobody else has this exact tattoo that you have. Right. Uh, it's like a kind of identifying, claiming your humanity type thing, uh, which is fun. I, I like that. But that was where I was kind of like. Okay, you sort of said the same thing about the sneakers. Um, <laughs> like every episode can't end this way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's why I was like my one like little thing about the show is like if this is the same thing for the other eight episodes or whatever many it is, uh, I don't know. But yeah, I think this was definitely my favorite episode too. Nice. All right. So that is uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, the first three episodes of the show. We have talked about them now. Uh, do you think, Mike, that you'll end up watching any more of the show after this? Maybe I could kind of see this being like a, like you said, a sort of just, I don't know, lazy Saturday afternoon. I haven't really decided what I'm doing for the day yet. Maybe I'll throw some episodes of world according to Jeff Goldblum on, you know, kill some yeah. time while you figure it out kind of deal. Or, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I could see myself like, you know, in a moment where like, I don't think I'll like be actively watching the world according to Jeff Goldblum, but if I have like a half hour to kill, uh, before like a podcast or something, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put one on. You know, I, I really enjoy the first three episodes. It's just not something that I feel like I'm going to, like, aggressively watch. You know, like something I feel mm-hmm. like I got to – like it's not a moon night, you know. <laughs> right, <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. Just for an example, like something that I've, I've got I've to worry about spoilers or, or getting in the conversation or whatever. It's more of a casual watch, uh, which, you know, is what it needs to be. It, it is exactly what the show needs to be. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's pretty solid. I could see in a moment of, uh, you know, maybe you had an edible and you're looking at Disney+. Plus. <laughs> And you're like, I can't decide what to do. And then just there's the safety of Jeff Goldblum's arms right there. Right. And you just pick that. And suddenly you watch nine episodes of The World According to Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, there are nine episodes left in season one. And then I believe season two is something like 10 or 12 episodes. Uh, So there's a decent amount left of uh, The World According to Jeff Goldblum. I don't know. I haven't heard any word yet if they're going to do season three yet or not. Um, Hmm. I'm sure they will. I feel like that's just something like it's. A, probably a pretty cheap show to make uh, and, you know, easy content for Disney Plus, you know, so might as well throw it out there. But, uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything but season three. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I could also see this just being a, like, this isn't bringing in subscribers. Thing. I don't know if that's how Disney Plus operates their streaming service, but all the other ones, that's how they operate. So I don't know. We'll see. That is also true. So, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I think this is genuinely, like, maybe the definitive work of, like, modern Jeff Goldblum, just in terms of, like, his personality and, like, getting it out there on screen. Uh, it's like this and the jazz albums, honestly. Like, it's, the, yeah. <laughs> it's these two things. It's the two peaks of his career are The Fly <laughs> and then The World According <laughs> to Jeff Goldblum. That's it. I just mean like as a cultural force, Mike, no. like this is, this is what Goldblum is right now, you know? Yes, correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, like if you look at the rest of his movies, like other than like Wes Anderson movies and the occasional return to one of his blockbusters, it's stuff like the boss baby too. 
Yeah. You know, uh, and stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, entire series is on Disney Plus right now. And, or, you know, you can take it onto the high seas like Mike D would do. And allegedly. Uh, yeah, uh, allegedly. Yeah, we should say that for legal purposes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad I finally got to check off some of the episodes. And and yeah, I was, I feel like I sort of get the cultural thing from two years ago, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Three years ago now. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that, I think, is going to take us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you could do that on our Ko-fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yes, we do. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film and Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decree show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at GoBloomPod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts with comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, join us on the next Complete Works. Jeff Goldblum joins a DreamWorks animated sequel, which was released both in theaters and on Peacock at the same time. Uh, you know, one of those uh, wow. COVID hybrid releases that uh, kind of happened there. Uh, and that is The Boss Baby Family Business. We're getting into it. It's uh, what do we call it before? The uh, the Boss Cast Family Babies? What, what was it? <laughs> family Boss podcast? Baby, the Family Podcast. Yes. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be doing that next week. Uh, should be uh, hopefully a fun discussion, at least. I'm not sure how the movie's going to be. But, God. Uh, We'll see how it goes. Uh, plus, this week, I'm Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Uh, we are doing an underworld double feature. Uh, our buddy Kyle Cullen uh, did a Guest Makes Mike Watch, where he made us watch the first two movies in the Underworld franchise, Underworld and Underworld Evolution, uh, which I had never seen before and actively disliked. Uh, and <laughs> Mike uh, had seen before and uh, thoroughly enjoys. <laughs> yeah, love those movies. <laughs> So uh, which, which side are you on? Are you on the vampires or the lichens? Are you on Mike Smith or Mike Decretio? You can find out. I'm Mike Mike out of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and that is going to be it for this week. So thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the Gold Bloom. <laughs>